official Adam Sank Show merchandise at adamsank.com. T-shirts, tank tops, mugs, masks, just about everything you can think of emblazoned with the Adam Sank Show logo. Go to adamsank.com to order your merch today. Thank you. is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are live if you're listening. <laughs> it says, we are live if you're listening live. Uh, at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, July 10th, 2021 at dnrstudios.com, the only place to hear this motherfucking podcast live and throughout the week that it first airs. Don't forget to download the new DNRCast Studios app and subscribe to DNR Studios. Uh, leave us your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Email me, me, at adam at adamsank.com. Call us. Call in 804 825 5277. That's 804-TALK-ASS. You can call anytime and leave a voicemail. Like the Facebook page, download the comedy albums, get your ass merch, t-shirts, tank tops, even balls for your neutered dog. The link to all that is adamsank.com. Hey, this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. It is podcast awards season once again. So now, through the end of July... 2021. Go to podcastawards.com. Register as a nominator. It is quick and easy. They will not spam you. Um, when it asks you if you're willing to be a voter as well, say yes. And then nominate the ass in two categories, LGBTQ and People's Choice category. Please do this. It, it takes a minute and it uh, will mean the world to us if we can get a nomination again. Our guest today is someone I've been trying to get on for years. He is an inspiration to me. He is an actor and playwright named Stephen Strafford who uh, created an incredible one-man show called Methtacular, all about his recovery, uh, his, his decline and recovery uh, with regard to crystal meth. So we'll be talking to him a little later in the hour. But first, it's time to welcome this week's guest co-host, a lady that I am thrilled to have back, everyone's second favorite bandana-wearing lesbian, Joanne Filan, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. The applause is deafening, Joanne. Oh, no, I, know. I wasn't shushing oh. you. <laughs> I thought I was saying yay too loud. I don't know. <laughs> Joanne and I just had a lengthy chat off the mm -hmm. air about the hanky code mm. because Joanne has now taken to uh, wearing <laughs> hankies around her neck. Hankies. Okay. You call them hankies? Well, you call them bandanas. Okay. Is right? that the same thing? Because I think when I think of a hanky, I think of like going to pull it out of your, your pocket of your coat and, and blow your, your nose. nose and then. You're right. But for some reason, the, the gay code was always called the hanky code. Oh, okay. Um, but yes, Joanne's uh, lesbian life partner thinks that she needs more color in her wardrobe. And so Joanne's solution to this <laughs> has been to wear colorful bandanas. It's a lesbian thing. <laughs> Hashtag lesbian problems. It's actually, though, I, I was telling Joanne, she's got beautiful blue eyes and this uh, this light blue bandana that she's wearing, which signifies that she's a cocksucker yes makes her eyes look absolutely beautiful and and uh thank you very much for uh we got to go over some dick pics also. yes i was just showing joanne a nice. dick pic um, just to make sure that i'm a 
good cocksucker. She had. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you saw even a picture of a, of a penis? Can you remember? Uh, about a minute ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> but before that. Before that, I uh, I don't uh, know. I have no idea. Like live? Oh, no, a picture. I've seen it in movies, I guess. I get for like okay. a flash. They don't mm-hmm. really show much of it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad that I could uh, remind you yes. of what one looks like. And uh, speaking of penis, also with us today is our favorite producer, the queen of fuckery, JB Bursey. Hello. Welcome, JB. Um, I was uh, taking JB and Joanne's bagel orders uh, by email yesterday because I uh, I always get the bagels for everyone in the morning. And Joanne had the most lesbian order <laughs> of all time. She ordered. A plain bagel, dry. <laughs> I was like, are you, really? You want a plain bagel with nothing on it? Yes. Well, I have a, I, I had a, a problem. I, I broke up with cheese and, and there dairy. There are other things you can put. You can put peanut butter. We, yes, we settled on a tofu true. cream cheese for Joanne, which she actually loved. Yeah, it's delicious. It's awesome. But it's like such a, it's like, could I also get some warm tap water? <laughs> Am I going to jail? No cup. I'm just going to use my hand. <laughs> just pour it on the floor. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to you. Welcome to JB. Uh, we are going to do recommended viewing, and um, I've been watching TV like crazy the last two weeks, so I have three recommendations. There's only two on the rundown. Um, first is The Queen of Meth on Discovery+. Plus. I know you're thinking, what the fuck is Discovery Plus? You can just download these apps for a week for free and then cancel them after you've watched the show. That's what I do. But anyway, oh. Queen of Meth is about Tom Arnold's sister. <gasps> yes, Roseanne's ex-husband, Tom Arnold. His sister in the 80s and early 90s was literally the queen of crystal methamphetamine in the United States. She was a drug kingpin wow. um, living out in the Midwest. And he made this documentary about her. She's in it. He's in it. Uh, it's fascinating. She's a strangely likable character. Much like, well, I don't know. Is he likable? Is Tom I Arnold? like Tom Arnold these days. <clears throat> he's he's kind of strangely likable. Frenetic, but he's mm. he became like a serious Trump hater, which made me love him. Yeah, that's true. But it's a um, it's a really good saga. It's a multi episode show. Uh, another docu series that I loved and it scared the shit out of me was Son of Sam: Descent into Darkness on Netflix. Ooh. Joanne, you're a little younger than me, I think. Do you, were you around when the Son of Sam murders were happening? Uh, I when I don't know. Uh, I, I'm familiar Seven, with it 77, somewhat. 77, 76, okay. 77. Yeah, so, uh, but I don't uh, I don't really remember the, the whole, it was a talking to a dog? Was it a dog? He said thing? a dog was giving him his, his orders to kill all these people. Actually, right. a spirit speaking through the dog. Okay. I was six years old and living in New Jersey, and I remember very clearly being terrified. And really? Because this was on the news every night. We got New York City news, and, and my sister, I remember her telling me, like, Adam, he's, he's in New York. He's not here in suburban New Jersey, and oh he's only go- he goes after young women. But I was terrified. Anyway, this documentary doesn't just tell the story of Son of Sam, but it t- talks about a, a very probable theory an investigation into whether there were other shooters and whether he was not alone, but in fact part of a group. Oh and God. that those murders were not isolated to him, but were part of a much larger spree of murders around the country that went on for years. It is terrifying, but it's so good, and it's on Netflix. And the last thing I'm going to say, and I only watched half of it because I had to go to bed last night, but <laughs> such a joy, 
is uh, Summer of Soul, which is on Hulu. And this is about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. JB, did you know about this? No, sir. The Harlem Cultural <laughs> Festival was Black Woodstock. Yeah. Really? Oh, my God. And no one ever knew about it because it was never televised. It was professionally filmed the same way Woodstock was, and then no one wanted to buy it and produce it. So it's the footage mm. sat for 50 years, and oh then God. Questlove discovered it and created this documentary. This was yeah. six concerts that took place throughout the summer of 1969, the same summer Woodstock happened, and every black solo artist and group in the world, like all of the tops, all of the, like, you know, Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight and The Fifth Dimension. And, Why wasn't Jimi Hendrix there? Uh, because he was at Woodstock. Yeah. Also because he was rock and roll. And this was um, uh, soul, okay. gospel, R&B, a little bit of pop, but sold out concerts in Mount Morris Park. It is such a joyous documentary. Oh, the music's yeah. amazing. The commentary is amazing, so that's on Hulu. I'm actually generally not surprised that you saw that. That was filmed, has been stored 50 years, and no one really cared about it. Yeah, this is America. It's shocking. And because it wasn't presented the way that Woodstock was as a movie, it was forgotten. I mean, it really shows you the power of media. If, if no one tells your story, your story, your story disappears. Yeah. yeah. So, but Questlove has done a terrific job. Um, Speaking of media and stuff, I posted a story on my uh, Instagram. If you guys ever want to check that out, um, about in depth that about TikTok again. I'm sorry to bring this up, but (laughs) I I can't I can't support TikTok because they censor anything with the word black behind it. So you put black voice censored. Really? Yes. But you can put white voice or white. I'm going to have to investigate this. Why would they do that? Because apparently, according to them, that's a hate crime. Uh, it's frustrating. No. It's real frustrating. But you can say you can say anything you want with white in front of in it. In other words, they see black and they think someone's saying something bad about black people. Because that's yeah. that's my experience on Facebook. Because I get banned all the time for yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like that. Yes, yes, it's kind of oh, like that. Okay, it's pretty much the, like it's that. The algorithms are fucked up. Like you yeah. can't put it. It will stop you. Like, I'll I'll show you the video after we finish this show, so you guys understand what I'm talking about. Okay, but yeah. What's your recommended okay. viewing for this? Um. Oh my god. So my favorite show. I was talking about this for last month, but Leverage the Redemption series just came out yesterday. I started watching it. It's so good. It's so good. It is just like, just like the original show. I feel like it's just picking up where it left off. And I love shows like so that. So once again, JB's recommendation is Leverage, Leverage Redemption. That's what the that's what the show is called. We should get them as the sponsor at this point. Uh, yeah, Seriously. we should. Joanne, recommended viewing. Um, uh, maybe it's an old because uh, it's been out for a long time, several hundred seasons. But I my go to is always uh, Wentworth. Wentworth on uh, Netflix. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, oh my god, really? Oh my god, it's amazing. Uh, it's uh, actually it's Australian. Um, it's kind of like the Australian Oranges is New Black, hmm. but it's better. So women in prison. Women in I'm prison. Shocked that you like this. Shocker! I know, I know, <laughs> but it's awesome. So good. All right, I'm going to check out Wentworth. By the way, I have no idea if the listeners like this segment or not. We, we do it every two weeks. It takes up like 10 minutes of the show. We started doing it at the beginning of the shutdown with the idea being <laughs> that no one had anything to do but watch TV. Right. At this point, 
uh, people could just feel like I'm doing things with my life. I don't need to know what's on TV. If you don't like this segment or if you do like it, let me know. 804-TALK-ASS or uh, Adam at AdamShank.com. Um, uh, before we move into news, I have to apologize to our <laughs> guest co-host last week, Joey DeGrandis. JB and I mocked him mercilessly for getting the date of his first appearance on the ass wrong because he's got highly superior autobiographical memory. And we were like, oh guess not. <laughs> well, it turns out he was absolutely right. Before he was ever a guest co-host, he was a guest on Sunday, July 9th, 2017, which is exactly what he said. So, Joey, we apologize. So sorry. Why we, would you challenge We that? speak your name. That's so like his what well, he's he, known he did for? get some things wrong. Like he called oh. Irene he called Irene like he, he had new names for you and Irene. Oh really? Yeah. He oh. was like Josephine and Eileen. And I'm like, yes. not quite. <laughs> not exactly. Okay. But yes, but he's a whiz with dates. He never gets a date wrong. And so mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Joey, that we doubted Joey, you. Joey, we're so sorry for making fun of you and say your memory's <laughs> failing you and call you old lady. Sorry, Jimmy. Your H Sam is uh redeemed. Okay, number one story uh, over the past two weeks is a great story, and it's that the Supreme Court of the United States has upheld trans bathroom rights for students. Yay! This wasn't a ruling. It was one of those things where a lower court decided that trans kids had a right to use the bathroom of their identity, and the Supreme Court just didn't take the case. So in other words, they they let that ruling stand. It's insane. Why are they so obsessed with this? They're obsessed with it because it, so get, it raises insane. money and it yeah. gets votes. That's Seriously. the only reason. The case concerned the scope of Title IX, which prohibits schools from discriminating on the basis of sex. It was brought by a trans guy named Gavin Grimm. He was, at the time, a high school student who challenged his local school board's decision that required him to use either a unisex bathroom or a women's room. By the way, the only two justices that wanted to take up the case were Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Uh, I want to talk more about the case, but first I just want to say, I don't know how closely you guys have been following the Supreme Court this season. Uh, they just wrapped. They're, they're, they're done for the summer now until October. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> it's been very interesting. It is not what we predicted necessarily. I kind of tuned out after uh, RBG left. <laughs> yeah, right? That's when you uh, you changed yeah. the channel. Yeah, I was like... Oh. When she left the show, it was Went all downhill. <laughs> well, I agree. But, um, you know, it, it was assumed that almost all the decisions going forward would be six to three, conservatives, right. liberals. In fact, there have been very interesting combinations of unanimous decisions, um, decisions where... A liberal justice joined the conservatives or, or mm. the conservative justices joined the liberals where it was eight to one or seven to two. It, it's not – they've still done some terrible things. Mm. You know, it, well. the, the Arizona voting rights decision from oh last week is, is the, the worst maybe in a generation and that's going to affect all of our elections going forward. And that was six to three. It's insane. But those three Trump appointees that we all hate and fear <laughs> are not quite as – awful as they could be. They seem to have some independence. And we saw that when they refused to take up Trump's ridiculous uh, oh. voter fraud cases. So um, I'm, I'm heartened by some of this. And, uh, and certainly this decision was very important. Um, Grimm, the, the young man who brought the case, said, quote, trans youth deserves to use the bathroom in peace without being humiliated and stigmatized by their own school boards 
and elected officials. The court's decision uh, was to not review an opinion by the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, and it means that public school students um, can use the bathroom that corresponds to their gender identity, but only in the, this is interesting, only in the states that are covered by the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. The issue remains unsettled in other states. <laughs> so unless you live in a mid-Atlantic state, uh, and you're, a, you know, if you're a trans student, you, you might still uh, be, be denied the right to use the bathroom of your choice. It's going to require more cases. But at least we know that the court believes that Title IX applies to trans students. They seem to, to agree with that, except for Alito and Thomas. Right. Meanwhile, this is a story that caught my eye and my nose this week, Joanne. Mm. The FDA <laughs> is warning people to stop using poppers. <laughs> yes. Isn't that like, uh, I don't know, is that kind of old old news or old, not old news, but old. I mean, that's like closing the barn door after the horse tranquilizers. You know, health authority. Oh, wait, left. someone's using poppers. JB, can you not do that during the <laughs> <Seriously>? show, please? <laughs> JB, put your dick away. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, there's another dick. (laughs) Medical medical authorities have gone back and forth about this over the years. There was a time, you know, Joanne, in the early 80s when AIDS first appeared, there was – many people believed that somehow poppers were involved, that that huffing poppers and doing other recreational drugs that were popular among gay men somehow caused AIDS. We now know that that poppers played no role in AIDS. AIDS is a virus. Mm. Um, and after that, it was sort of like, you know, they're not technically legal, but they're sold as tape head cleaner, nail polish remover. You know, they, they get around it, and you can buy them in any bodega in New York City. Nail polish remover? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they are, actually. You could use them. Oh, you could use nail polish remover as a popper? No, or you, could use, called... you could use poppers to take off your nail polish. Really? If, wow. If you didn't have any nail polish remover in the house. Um, But on June 24th, the FDA issued a warning urging consumers against the sale and use of uh, chemical inhalant alkyl nitrite, more commonly known as poppers, Mm -hmm. after an observed increase in reported deaths and hospitalizations were linked to the recreational substance. In a quote, the FDA says, we're advising consumers not to purchase, uh, da, da, da. These products are marketed as nail polish removers but are being ingested or inhaled for recreational use. Let me just say this. Uh, most of the poppers-related emergencies that I've heard about involve people drinking them. Ew. You're not supposed to drink them okay. or pour them into your nose. I, okay. I believe when taken in small amounts, as in like, okay. you know, a little sniff-sniff, they're fine. <laughs> like, no, no, that's getting carried away, I think. I think. They create a momentary high. It lasts about okay. five minutes. Um, poppers are also, and this I do know, they're extremely dangerous to use shortly before or after taking erectile dysfunction medication like Viagra or Cialis because they can cause a person's blood pressure to drop. The combination of poppers and ED meds can result in fainting, stroke, or even heart attack and death. Um, mm. they, they're banned in the UK. They're banned in Canada. The US <laughs> is the only country uh, uh, in certainly that our listeners <laughs> Are from <laughs> sorry Canada and England where where they're still legal so maybe that will change now but I happen to think as far as substances go they're pretty harmless if you use them correctly 
Well, maybe you should have a tutorial. I mean, this show is pretty much a popper's tutorial. Oh, <laughs> okay. We talk about them a lot. <laughs> have you ever done them, Jordan? No, I have not. Have you ever heard of lesbians using them? Um, no, and we don't even really need nail polish remover. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, some lesbians wear nail polish. <laughs> That's true. I've seen it. Uh, poppers are fun. They have two effects. There's a physical effect, which is that they cause your butthole to open up. Oh, well, then I'm in. <laughs> yes. In or possibly your vajayjay, I would think. Oh. But also there's a there's psychological effect. They make you, like, super horny for, like, a moment. Oh. For a moment? Like, how? It's quick. Oh. But, like, if you time it right, like, if you do a hit right before you come, it's pretty fucking intense. Oh. Okay, so it's uh, it's okay. You have to do it while you're having sex. Most people do, but I also know guys who just like doing it on the dance floor. Just they like to get a little trippy on the dance floor. And okay, it, it I, I've never quite understood that. Mm. But in the '70s, they were definitely used as like a dance floor drug as wow. much as they were used as a sex Maybe drug. Maybe if you're like going out on the dance floor and you don't know where to put your keys, you just do a popper, open up your butthole, and stick them in. <laughs> I don't know. That's just the lesbian You're suggesting talking. that we use our buttholes as like a, a, a oh. purse. Yes, yes, exactly. That's I mean, what I'm suggesting. That's very practical. Uh -huh. I'm going to try that next time. The problem is then when the effects of the poppers wear off, you can't get your keys out. Oh, yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. You got to have two. You have two poppers. <laughs> Not to mention how uncomfortable. Oh, well, yeah. It, it, the bottle is – you get more than one hit off a bottle. Okay. Well, then there you go. You can see? use it for weeks. Okay. You're Eventually safe. it gets stale. Mm. Anyway, enough about poppers. By the way, <laughs> we're still waiting for a listener to send us the pumpkin spice poppers that were uh, that came out several Starbucks? years ago. <laughs> from Starfucks. <laughs> nice. Leading, uh, yeah, no, they're not from Starbucks, but um, there was a story about them a couple years ago, and Ryan and I were like, someone buy us these, and no one ever did. What's like they're so they come in flavors? They don't usually. This oh. was something new mm, and that got a okay. lot of press on the gay blogs. Yeah. <clears throat> First flavor and it's pumpkin spice, really? Yeah. I mean, what else, what else would you do? Uh, I could think Apple of pie, uh, you know, peppermint poppers, cherry, cherry poppers, po isn't that Cherry good? poppers. Oh my god, that's a great dancer. Cherry name, too. poppers. I love it. Meanwhile, I'm, I, I just almost belched very loudly into the <laughs> microphone. So listeners, be happy that I... Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Delicious. Um, here's a sad story out of Philadelphia. The official pride group called Philadelphia Pride has disbanded after 28 years. Um, this is a messy situation. Yes. The official pride parade for Philadelphia was postponed and downsized like it was here and in most places because of the pandemic. And it was going to be uh, moved to September where they were going to have a Pride Light Festival. But on June 21st, Philly Pride announced that there will be no Pride Light Festival. Uh, on September 4th, the organization instead announced its disband disbandment. The catalyst for all of this was a June 10th Facebook post from Philly Pride in which they talked about the 1969 Stonewall uprising. This is <clears throat> what they wrote. This is very strange. Listen closely. The Stonewall riots were exactly that. Those dressed as women that night refused to go with the officers. The police were going to transport the bar's alcohol and patrol wagons, but the patrol wagons had not yet arrived, so patrons were required to wait in line for about 15 minutes. 
the violence escalated until the police were outnumbered by between 500 and 600 demonstrators. Pennies were thrown at the police, then bricks. Ten police officers, including two police women, barricaded themselves and several handcuffed detainees inside the Stonewall Inn for their safety. <laughs> a parking meter was uprooted and used by the crowd as a battering ram. The riots and pandemonium lasted five days, the crowds increasing every day. There are a lot of problems with that paragraph. Yes. First of all, those dressed as women <laughs> is not how we refer to trans women in 2022, 2021. No. Two, this is just weirdly written and not a very, you know, interesting description or, or, or thorough description of what went on that night. But three, this seems to be a very pro-police yes. post. It seems like the police, they were just doing their jobs. The police are just trying to keep us all police. safe. And we're, I and mean, 600 people came and attacked them. It's, <laughs> it's very defensive of the police and mm -hmm. makes the demonstrators sound like the bad guys. Yes. You have to remember, this was a community that had been routinely terrorized by the police. Rounded up, arrested, beaten, jailed, harassed in many cases sexually assaulted and we're supposed to feel bad for them and now it's yeah oh they uh poor after police. well <laughs> after this post came out the organization received harsh backlash from many in philadelphia's lgbtq community the organization released a statement on june 17th apologizing for the post they claimed that an unnamed senior advisor had resigned from the board after creating the post um and then the group disbanded. There are black and brown organizers in Philadelphia um, that have been trying, that have been pushing for major changes in this group. You know, Philly's a different kind of city from New York. Have you ever gone to Philly Pride? I haven't, but I've been to Philly a few times. Philly's one of those cities, I think of Philly and Boston in this category. They're Democrat cities, right. Democratic cities, but they're not really liberal in the way that New York is, and, right. they're, and the, they're, the racism in those cities, in my experience, is worse than New York. They are, well, what it is, I think, I mean, it's, it's Democrat, but it's still Pennsylvania. And there's Very a, white, working class yeah. mentality, mm -hmm. yes. which doesn't tend to be friendly nope. to people of color. And so this is, a, this is a fight that's happening around the country in many, not just LGBTQ organizations, but in academia and in left-leaning organizations where it's like, okay, it's great that you're liberal and progressive, but you're not inclusive and you're, right. not, you're not speaking for the people of color who are part of this community and in right. Philadelphia, a, a very large part of the community. Right, exactly. I know, it's, it's ridiculous. So hopefully... This will lead to a, a, a better, uh, more inclusive, more diverse organization that actually represents all people, including black and brown people. Um, but apparently this was a long time coming, and that is just a very strange Facebook post. Yeah. I, I feel like um, the pride people were tied up in a corner and somebody was posting for them. <laughs> I don't know. Well, no. It was this senior advisor, I apparently, who it's did like... it. <clears throat> in happier news... Guess who came out? <laughs> Finally. Yes. Queen Latifah. Seriously. Jeez. Did she need to? Yes, Queen. <laughs> you know, she did uh, yeah. because for years and years and years, she had said when asked about it, I am never going to discuss my private life. 
true. But in the sense, did she need to come out? Like, did we not already? <laughs> like, oh, I think everyone no. needs to come out. Well, no, yeah. I, I mean, of important. course, it's important to come out. But like, was that like nobody knew? <laughs> I think it's when 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 a celebrity doesn't acknowledge it, him oh. or herself publicly, then it, then it then it's easy to dismiss everything as rumors. True. Like Jodie Foster. Right. We all knew Jodie yeah. Foster was a mm-hmm. dyke, but. Middle America didn't know, and no. if they heard it, they would probably go, "Yeah, that's just a rumor. I don't believe right. it. She's right. too pretty, or whatever." Right. Well, Queen Latifah uh, received the BET Lifetime Achievement Award the other night, and she gave this very lovely speech. And at the end, she simply thanked her longtime partner and their son. Take a listen. Get off this stage, but I thank you so much for all of you, the fans for supporting every crazy ass thing I've done through the years. And thank you for making Equalizer number one. Ebony, my love. Rebel, my love. Peace. Happy Pride. I love the name Rebel. Yes. For a boy or a girl. That's a cool name. So good for her. I think this is very important, particularly to do it at the BET Awards. Um, She has been notoriously private um, but has been photographed with her partner before embracing on a yacht. Um, uh, let's see. It's the first public acknowledgement in addition uh, to my – it's the first public acknowledgement of an addition to her family since it was – oh, I guess the child, since it was rumored to happen in 2018. So good for her. Yes. Congratulations. Absolutely. I love Queen Latifah. Me too. I think oh she's my so God. talented. She is. And I think she's um, gorgeous too. Gorgeous, great actress, great yes. singer, great mm-hmm. rapper. She's she's very um, she's very impressive. Proud to have her on the team. Meanwhile, Lil Nas X has come out as a bottom. Bottom. <laughs> and a power bottom, in fact. Um, can I uh, can I just uh, show my ignorance? Um, what um, what makes you a power? I was hoping you would ask. <laughs> so a power bottom can not only get fucked, but can get fucked by a really big dick for a really long time, kind of like uh, any time uh, he's in the mood. It's someone who's very receptive. Okay, powerfully receiver. <laughs> like I'm, I'm <laughs> here's actual. Footage of a power. Oh my god! Oh. Like I can get fucked, mm-hmm. but not just any time of day, not um, by a huge dick, and not f- for more than a few minutes. Do you know what I'm saying? These are people who can really take a pounding. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. I'm getting it now. And love it. Nice. So he he actually was at the BET Awards and kissed uh, one of the men on stage, one of his dancers which got a huge uh, mm-hmm. uproar, of course, and then one person on Twitter asked him if he were a bottom or a top, and his response was, power bottom. <laughs> then he followed up with an explanation, which is really thoughtful. He said, <laughs> no, it was. This, was. this is actually like, no, this is serious. As Merriam-Webster defines. He said, we teach our bottoms to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to bottoms, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you would threaten the top. Mm. He's actually talking about something important because bottoms are shamed all the time in our community, which is ridiculous because most of us have bottomed at one point, and like mm. at least half of us love it. 
But there's this shaming that goes on because in the old days, a bottom was thought of, I mean, we didn't even recognize tops as gay in the old days. I'm talking about like pre-Stonewall. Tops were known as trade and they were basically straight men who oh. would get their dick sucked or would fucking ass, but were not, they were not like gay. They weren't gay identified. Oh, okay. Gays were bottoms. Gays were like sissies. That's the only, okay. But <clears throat> so, and, and that has, that has lingered, that idea of like, if you're a bottom, you're lesser, you're feminine, you're... You're not you're in woman? control. You're a woman. Exactly. And what's worse than that? Ugh. What's worse than a woman, Joanne? I oh ask you. Oh, my God. I, uh, a power woman. <laughs> so good for him. I, I love him. He has really – everything he does makes me smile. No, it's it's awesome. It's it's wonderful to have yet another awesome person on the team. Yay. Uh, Miss USA will have its first ever trans contestant. Yay. It's amazing to think that this was the pageant once owned and operated by Donald Trump. Uh, her name is Cataluna Enriquez. She became Miss Nevada um, a couple Sundays ago. She's 27 years old. This fall, she'll be the first openly trans woman to compete for the title of Miss USA. She's absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah. So I don't know how you feel about pageants, Joanne. Uh, well, you know, I, I do follow the circuit. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> yes. Are they just so disgusting to you? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, no, you know, I mean, if that's that's your thing, that's your thing. I'm not going to want to try to judge, you know, if you want to, you know, power bottom your way through. A, oh, I see what you did there. I don't know. <laughs> I consider myself a feeble top bottom. when it comes to that. You are a top, right, Joanne? Sure. Uh, I don't. Yes, I think so. I'm a feeble top, though, with a very <laughs> you're lackluster. A you're a lazy top. <laughs> lazy top. I'm a lazy bottom. I'm a crop top. For sure. No, you're a crop top. What's that mean? I don't know. I just made it up. <laughs> a short top? I don't know. I'm not short. I'm no, you're 11. not. But maybe, do you have a small There's got to be something that means crop top. I crop have a, top. I have Ooh, a, a, that's a great A thing. rather medium-sized penis. Okay, so if you've got a small penis, but you like to, you that's, know. That's, you're called an angry inch. Oh, <laughs> damn it. I think you should change oh, yeah, to crop top. I didn't know there was words for these. There's yeah. phrases. Yeah. Can we, can we make it crop when, top? When someone's got a small dick, but they like to use it a lot, you're like, yeah, he's got an angry inch. Yeah, it's an he's angry a crop inch. top. I'm, I'm going to make this As happen. in Hedvig in the angry inch. I'm going to make crop top happen. All right. I think you like need that. to come up with a better definition. I mean, though. yeah, because there's sure. always... There's maybe always... it's... Okay, so you can have an angry inch in the gay men, but maybe you're a crop top if you're a lesbian. I don't know what mm. that would entail, though. I think give it maybe some thought. We can talk about it when you host next week. Short tongue. Um, <laughs> is our guest ready, JB? Yes, sir. Mm. Fabulosity. All right. I'm so excited. Our guest today is an actor, playwright, and solo performer who's been seen on Broadway and Spamalot on television in Chicago Fire and numerous other projects. In 2012, he premiered his one-man show, Methtacular, which details his descent into and eventual recovery from meth addiction. He has since toured the country with the show, and it's available in full on YouTube. Here is a taste of Methtacular. A weekend of partying in New Orleans followed by a full week of secret partying at home. I'm spent. Coming down is tough. Alongside the incredible depression, the what the fuck am I doing? I'm a disgusting, depraved monster. I hate myself. I hate my life. Alongside all of that is the inability to let go of the sex thing. Choosing your TV becomes a matter of survival because if I felt any arousal in what I watched, I would go on a two-hour masturbation jag. And then you want to do more crystal, but there is no more crystal, so you masturbate until you're chafed raw. 
So thank God for the Golden Girls. (laughs) Every morning when I was trying to stop doing drugs, between the hours of 8 and 10 a.m., Lifetime, television for gay crackheads coming down. (laughs) They would show four episodes of The Golden Girls, and I would be sure that I would not feel anything remotely sexual. And please give a warm-ass welcome to Stephen Stratford, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the audience is so loud. <laughs> Steven. Hi. Hi, welcome. Hi. Hello, hello. Um, it's so funny. When I'm listening to that, um, I am sitting here um, proud of myself like a parent. Like, I'm like, oh, you did a good job, Steven. <laughs> you like, should listen be. Listen to how much Absolutely. they like it. <laughs> you totally should be. I'm such a massive fan of yours, uh, Steven. I saw your show when it excuse me, when it first opened in New York in 2012, Mm -hmm. 2014, excuse me. No, 2012, right? 2012, yeah. And it inspired me to write and perform my own one-man show. Oh, I love that. Which sucked. I mean, it was nowhere near as good as yours, but (laughs) I didn't have as much of a story to tell. I can't imagine it sucked. I'm sure it was great. It was fine. It was, the subject matter was a lot uh, less spectacular, let's say. Sure, sure. When and how did the process of creating Methtacular begin? Uh, so I was living in New York. I was pretty newly sober. Um, and, um, I had, I was, you know, an act, an actor auditioning through my agent and I got this audition to, um, uh, play the Harpo Marx character in Animal Crackers, uh, oh, wow. Goodman in, in Chicago. And I hadn't been back to Chicago. Um, uh, I had, sort of left all of my burnt bridges and crazy drug behavior back in Chicago because that's where I was a crystal meth addict. So um, I get this audition and I get a call back and it goes really well and I start to freak out because I'm like, oh, I might be going back to Chicago. And so I start talking to uh, my sponsor and I start talking to my therapist and I start talking to strangers on trains, just all about like, what, what do I do if I go back? And, um, and I got myself emotionally prepared to go back and then I didn't get the part. And, um, and can I just I interrupt describe... for a second? Yeah. What does one do at a Harpo Marx audition other than squeeze that bicycle horn? Does he have any lines? Uh, no, but it's all like beat after beat after beat of comic behavior. Wow, and so a lot of it is on you. Um, some of it's played out in the script, like this action happens, this action happens. But a lot of it is how you how you take it, right? A um, tough part to try out for. Yeah, and I mean, any audition is torture, so yeah. it's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so I um, got okay with it, and then didn't get it, and then I kind of I, I'm pretty good about not getting parts. I'm used to it. Yeah, and. Um, but this like sent me on a freak out that I can only describe as Daffy Duck like, like I like lost my mind. Um, and I think it was because I put so much emotional work into getting okay with the idea of doing it. So then when I didn't do it, it felt, um, it felt like the rug was pulled out from under me. And I, uh, that day I had a new laptop. I was very excited at the time that I had this like new fancy laptop 
And um, I proceeded to type uh, the word, um, uh, is cursing, is that cool here? Absolutely, we encourage okay, great. it. So I typed the word fuck over and over and over again. Um, and then I wrote, imagine in one sniff, every physical, emotional, and sexual insecurity you ever had disappears. And that surprised me because I, I wasn't planning on writing it. And then I wrote that day, uh, for like eight hours. Like it's like this sort of like Nancy Myers movie, like right. you're like coffee in, coffee out, like people coming into the kitchen, people coming out of the kitchen, and me just sitting there typing. And that was the beginning. It really of, it sounds like it, it came stuff. through you, like this material just was being channeled through you. Yeah, and, and what was so surprising to me right from the beginning was that it was funny. Um it is because, funny. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, because I um certainly at that time, newly sober did not think I had a lot of humor around my time as a crystal meth addict. Um, I had in so many ways, <laughs> I think I've uh, been very precious about my feelings around that time. Yeah. But what came out was a lot of um, observations of that time from a distance. And that had a lot of comedy to it. Right. Because trauma plus time equals comedy. Right. Or therapy. Yeah, one or the other. <laughs> which, which way you go? Same thing. It is, you know, what I love so much about the piece is that it makes me both laugh and cry when I watch it, um, which is like my favorite experience mm -hmm. to have in any kind of theatrical situation. Um, the the odds of recovering from crystal meth addiction are really tough. I've I've read that you're more likely to recover from stage four cancer than to recover from crystal meth. How do you account for your successful recovery? And, and it is the fact that you turned it into art part of what, what's kept you sober? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, I feel very lucky. Um, a lot of things conspired to keep me sober early on. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in sobriety, if you do recovery and all, you do a lot of work on yourself and you sort of work to create a person who won't need drugs or alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. Like you sort of create this better version of yourself, hopefully. I mean, that, that's the idea anyway. And um, I think the things, uh, how do I put this? I think the things about me that are the most troubling today to me were the things that kept me sober. Like I thought I, I'm, you know, deeply narcissistic. And I thought um, everyone around me was clocking all of my movements, you know? So I was like staying sober as an example early on, even though no one was looking up to me. Um, and um, I also, my mom gave me this big ultimatum. I was living with my mom in New Jersey after this whole time. And she gave me this ultimatum that if I used drugs again while living with her, she would kick me out and never talk to me again. And um, hmm. I don't think she would have done that knowing now. You know what I mean? I don't think she would have. But at the time, I really believed her. And my mom, you know, continues like like just a handful of gay men, I imagine. My mom continues to be a very important part of my life. Um, and the idea of losing her was just, um, it was too much. I wonder if kind of like when someone writes an addiction memoir and it's out there and everyone has read it, I wonder if there's this pressure on you to stay sober. Because now, if you were to relapse, which is 
you know, common among anyone in recovery. It's almost like you're not just letting yourself and your family and your loved ones down. You're letting down like all of your fans, like all the people who have seen this work and been inspired by it. Do you feel that or do you separate the art from 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 your life? Yeah. Uh, early on, uh, an agent of mine, actually, who um, had sort of similar um, experiences with friends and in you know going through addiction and all of that, said to me, he said something very valuable to me. He said, Stephen, just make sure that you keep your life separate from the story. Right. And, um, and I really appreciated that. You know, uh, I don't feel uh, any pressure because I've told this story. Um, I say very openly in, in the show that I think about doing drugs all the time. Um, and I don't particularly know why I don't do them <laughs> because um, for me at this point in my life, and this could all change, you know, tomorrow, later this afternoon. Right. Um, but I don't miss drinking even a little bit. Like I, frankly, I, I'm now in uh, grad school and I'm in this sort of college party town and just that smell that wafts out from bars. Yeah, it's gross. I just like, I'm like, oh, thank God I'm not in those environments. Because um, I never really felt comfortable there. I had to have three drinks before everyone finished their first just to be comfortable. Right. Um, but drugs, like burning down my whole life and just disappearing, that will always be attractive to me. Do you think fundamentally what that is is a desire to escape like just to yeah. to literally escape your brain. Yeah, it's um I I refer to my sobriety as like imagine every time you're drunk and or high as a vacation day. And I've just used up all my vacation days. Right. Because if I take any more vacation days, I very possibly will be fired from life. From your life. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good way of looking at it. Go ahead, Joanne. No, that I I love that. I love that uh analogy. You uh, Stephen, I imagine have gotten dramatic reactions from people around the country as you've performed this show over the years. Um, have you? What What are some of the things that you that people say when they reach out to you after seeing it? I mean, have you? Do you think you've like saved anyone's life? Because I would imagine well, you have. Um, I mean, I I don't know about all of that. I think people save their own lives, right? Um, but I I do have some. Lovely. I call um, after the show when when you're the only one in the show. Post show, it's like a wedding, you know, reception line. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, everyone wants to talk to you, and I always um, refer to that as the real job of the show because people have felt um, like I'm talking just to them yes. for you know 90 minutes, and so then they feel comfortable sharing with me dark things you know and some people have talked it's funny some people talk about drugs for sure and they talk about their experience with that but also uh very often people talk about um issues with body dysmorphia for some reason like people who have gone through um uh eating disorders or things around that area often come up and say that this show spoke to that feeling in them wow um yeah. And that's always been really great. Um, actually, you know, when I first did the show in Cincinnati, I, I 
I'm very old school. I wanted to do the show out of town. Like I wanted an out of town tryout before I did it in right. New York. So I did it at the Cincinnati Fringe Festival. And on the first night, it was like magic. It was my first time performing off book in front of people. There maybe were 30 people in the house, right? But it went so well. And then the second show, there were like 60 people in the house. But, and apparently everyone loved it, except I got focused on this one woman who had stink face the whole time. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, she hates it. Oh, I hate her. And then the next night was my night off. And I was at another person's show. And she was there. Oh my and I God. was there with my director. And I was like, oh, there she is. She's <laughs> the lady who hated the show. And she walked past me. She did a 180. She runs up to me. She hugs me. She starts crying. And she says, my son just got out of rehab for heroin. And this was the first time I was able to laugh about it. Wow. And oh thank you so much. And of course, in my head, the first thing I'm thinking is like, I didn't see you laugh. Right. So <laughs> like, you have stink face. Jo jo um, Joanne and I can relate to that because there's oh always God, one yes. person when you do stand up, there's always one person that we call the face. Mm -hmm. And it's the person who you cannot make laugh or change their expression no matter how hard you work. And that's the only person. And you we see. become fixated on them. <laughs> right, right. But oh, isn't 100%. that amazing that she was having a, such a different experience than what you saw? Yeah, and like some people's faces are just like that. Yeah, resting bitch face. Oh God, yeah. yes. Joanne's familiar with that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You have you have a beautiful resting face. Thank you, um, <laughs> Stephen. I imagine doing the show over and over again all these years. It's it's grown and changed, right? Or is it still fundamentally what it was when you started? Yeah. Um, since you saw it in 2012, um, there's a new song. Um, there's um yeah we should tell listeners it's a musical too oh yeah it started so it started out as just like i thought i was writing a cute little book and then people were like oh you should perform it and i was like oh that seems like a terrible idea and <laughs> then i started performing it but i was performing it and then a friend was like oh you need to add songs and i was like that's a terrible idea and then um we added songs but it was like a cabaret where i was like singing Nina Simone's I Want a Little Sugar in My Bowl, like things like that. Yeah. And this producer was like, um, here's the thing. You're a fine singer, but it's not like you're giving an interpretation of this song I've never heard before. Right. I get a little bored during the songs. So we started <clears throat> writing original songs. And um, uh, one of the songs is actually written with my husband. Um, he, he wrote the music to the sort of folksy song in the middle. And... Um, and then I worked with a composer named Will Hall, um, and he wrote music for uh, two of the other songs. And yeah, so it's it's a musical, and there's an improvised game show, um, which is hilarious. But, uh, yes, yeah, I love that. That's like that's maybe my favorite part. And there's uh, now there's a couple extra from when you saw it. There's a couple of extra videos of my mom. Yes, I when I watched the YouTube video, I was like, I don't remember his mom being part of the stage show that I saw. And I, I really love it. It adds a whole nother dimension. Um, and, uh, you know, j just to see her side of it is very moving. Yeah, it, it was very important to me um, that, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty charming guy. Like I know how to work a crowd and I can make terrible things sound funny. Yeah. And I thought it was important to get um, a different perspective out there. Right. It wasn't so and, funny uh, to her. 
Right. Yeah. And my mom is, um, is very funny and very charming and all of those things, but she's first and foremost, a, um, abject truth teller. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. And it, it was always important to me that there were other perspectives clocking my, uh, performing, you know, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so to, to keep it real, um, we're going to move to a, a fun little game in just a mm -hmm. second. But I just want to ask you this, uh, because this is a gay podcast, it's very likely that someone's out there listening right now who's struggling with addiction, either to meth or, or to something else. What, what's, what's your message to them? <sighs> um, uh, first and foremost, uh, I would say you're not alone in feeling um, the pain and the sadness that you're in. Um, I think there are a lot of ways to get out of the hole you're digging yourself into. Um, I personally went a more traditional recovery route, um, but I never went to rehab or anything like that. I, um, I just hit a point where um, I needed to try to live a different way. And it's hard, but um, on the other side of it, oh, here's the thing I'd say. I promise you that there is a point where you will go from the feeling of like, um, I used to think I don't get to drink and do drugs anymore. And somewhere in the beginning of recovery, I had a psychological shift where I started to think I don't have to drink and do drugs anymore. Right. And that is a real thing that happens to so many people. So rather than thinking of it you. as something that you're giving up, something that's being withheld from you, you see it as a, a liberation from. Yeah. I'm, I, it's not that I'm missing out on anything. I'm doing something else. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, Stephen, in the time remaining, it's time to play everyone's favorite at-home quiz show, Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. What is your favorite episode of The Golden Girls? Oh, this is so difficult. So many, so <laughs> many. Um, my husband is currently uh, watching it from the beginning through the whole end, so I've been joining him. And probably for pure, like, belly laughs, I would go with... Um, I think it's called the case of the libertine bell. It's the murder mystery weekend. Oh, that's a great episode. one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, you played the sadistic dentist in a Chicago production of little shop of horrors. What's the worst thing that's ever been done to you at a dentist's office? When I was a little kid, we went to a dentist who refused to use Novocaine. Fuck. What yeah. Is Cause that? He, he felt it like, you know, dulled the senses of his patient. Yeah. That's the but point. Then, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then after that, we like sort of over course corrected. And I went to a kid's dentist who called uh, Novocaine sleepy juice. Mm. And mm. I went to him when I was 16 and he was still calling it sleepy juice, which felt super creepy. Yeah. And also probably led to your eventual addiction to other substances. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to play F. Mary Kill. You know the game? Mm -hmm. I'm familiar. This is the A. Stephen edition. So oh, of the following three Stevens, which one would you F marry or kill? Stephen Baldwin, Stephen Tyler, Stephen Sondheim. I would marry Stephen Sondheim. Yes. I would um, 
I'll F Stephen Tyler and kill Stephen Baldwin. That is correct. Beautiful. Yeah. Because Stephen Baldwin is the Trump supporting Baldwin. Yeah, he's the nightmare. You lived in Chicago for years. Give us your best Chicago accent. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I don't know if I can pull it all together right away. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went to college in Michigan, so it's almost the same. As a, yeah. a lot of people calling me Adam. Yeah. yeah oh, sure. Adam. Harder, harder R's in Chicago, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the worst Broadway musical of all time? <gasps> oh, the worst Broadway musical of all time. Maybe in my life. Sure. I feel like it's hard though. Cause I love bad stuff. Like when it's really bad, we need an I answer. Like delight in it. <laughs> we need an answer, Stephen. Oh, um, can you not hear me? No, we can. But did you oh. say what the worst one was? Uh, in my life. Yes. Yeah. Oh, in my life is the name of the musical. Indeed. I thought you were it saying was that one with the big lemon in the sky. It was written oh, by the guy who wrote "You Light Up My Life." It was a John Lennon musical, right? No, 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 no. No, no it was. It was that guy. It was like about like someone with Tourette's falling in love, but they were in heaven, but oh like it God. wasn't heaven. Oh I've God. never heard of this. I thought you were saying in your lifetime, what's the worst Broadway? I, that's why. No, I in my life. In my life. And is the name of the show. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was, I believe the guy who composed it, right? Didn't he get um, convicted of murder? What? Didn't that also yeah. happen? All right. We're going to have to research this for <gasps> next Lord. time. Uh, the correct answer was cats. Oh. oh. Mm -hmm. Who is your celebrity crush? Um, Sam Sanders from NPR. No one knows who that is, Regis. Oh. And finally, what's been the most <laughs> exciting day or night of your life so far? I mean, this is really corny, but my wedding day was pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. that's the correct answer. Yay. Stephen yeah. Strafford, you are a delight. Uh, I urge listeners to go to YouTube and type in uh, Methtacular. It, it's all there. You can watch the entire show for free, and it's it's really fantastic. How can people follow you online? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Strafford, and Stephen's with a V, and Strafford is Doctor of Farts Backwards. Doctor oh of my Farts. God. Oh, that my. That is beautiful. That is a fantastic yeah. palindrome. Um, Stephen, I love you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Amazing. a blast. I'm so glad. Joanne and JB, please plug yourselves. Go ahead, Joanne. Um, uh, you can follow me on all social media at Joanne Filan, J-O-A-N-N-E-F-I-L-I-N. -I, -I, I wish I was Doctor of Farts, but I'm not. And that's it. JB? You can follow me only on Instagram at StockingAnarchy12. That's it. Thank you both so much. Tune in next week to hear another brand new ass with our special guest, New York Times bestselling author Brian Moylan who has written the definitive book about Bravo's Real Housewives franchise. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Insta at adamsank. And I'm also on TikTok at adamsankofficial. Email me at adam at adamsank.com. And most importantly, what's the most important thing, Joanne? Um... Floss. Podcast Awards. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Flossing is important, but go to podcastawards.com, register as a nominator, nominate this podcast. Also, leave me ratings and reviews. I'm very needy. I don't know if you know that, but I am I needy as fuck, and I need shocker. you listeners to step up. Uh, so thank you. I love you, and tune in next week. Bye.